Good morning, church. Thank you so much. It's always a privilege to be uh, before you. Um, as Evan mentioned, my husband and I are here serving in the capacity of marriage and family pastors, but we are always so um, honored and privileged to serve in whatever capacity that God allows. And so today it is just, just a huge blessing to be able to share God's word. So thank you for that. And um, God has been so faithful to our church, to Park Hill, and we expect that he will be just as faithful and show up for us today in a special way. So I want to start, though, by just welcoming the Spirit in. Um, as Evan mentioned earlier, we know that God's presence is already here. He's already here with us, among us, but we want to welcome him into our hearts to really break up those stony places and water the ground of our hearts so that um, his words can just be rooted deeply like seeds in the ground and, and grow into this beautiful harvest that pleases him and that is good for um, just for our world. So um, let's pray about that. Father, thank you so much for your love, for your grace, your mercy, God, your faithfulness to be with us. We thank you that, um, God, you are here and um, that you love us with an everlasting love, um, that you are not only here to observe, you're not just here as a bystander, but you are here in work clothes. God, that you have come down, you have rolled up your sleeves, and you are ready, God, to do the dirty work with us, alongside us. And we thank you, God, that you would even allow us to partner with you, God, to transform your people. And, and as uh, you change our hearts and as we come to you, God, we just thank you and we love you. We are grateful and we have great expectation uh, for what you're going to do. Thank you for your spirit's presence here today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. God is so good. <laughs> I'm going to start off by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise or persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now, this is Paul speaking, and we know from Acts chapter 18 that Paul spent about a year and a half in Corinth, um, and he started off preaching the gospel in the synagogues to the Jews, but when they refused his message, he began preaching to the Gentiles. And as a result of his message, people began to be converted. So in Acts 18, uh, verse 13, Paul was actually taken to court and accused of persuading people to worship God. That was actually a crime, apparently. And although, yes, Paul was preaching, he didn't take credit for those conversions. Um, he reminded the church in Corinth that he didn't come to them like the orators of their day with a strong persuasive speech, but he came with demonstration of the power of the Spirit. 
And we've already gone to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll revisit that right now. Verses 23 through 25 says, So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those who but to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Paul reminds them that he came plainly preaching the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And yes, it was offensive. It was seen as nonsense. There was no one standing with a, an arousing applause at this insane gospel message when Paul preached. But that very message transformed people and pointed them to Jesus Christ. He also tells them in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, that he came weak, timid, and trembling and had to rely on the Holy Spirit. Now, when I think of Paul, I don't think of anyone who was weak, timid, or trembling. I actually think of him as such a great patriarch of the church and a very strong, intellectual, bold, with unwavering faith. But Paul sets the record straight. Even he had weaknesses. He is honest about that. And um, there are some texts in Scripture that lead us to believe that Paul had a physical ailment, um, and that he may be referring to that here, I don't know. But even though we can't tell exactly what his weakness is, it was known by many, and it was something that humbled him. And so, friends, it's just a reminder. It's not your strength, even as Paul exhibited here. It's not your strength that draws people to Jesus. It is God's strength made perfect in your weakness. It's the demonstration of grace in your life that leads others to him. So Paul starts off the text in 2 Corinthians saying, and so it was with me when I came to you. This is important to call out because um, this plain speaking was not always Paul's approach. We just saw how he preached the gospel um, in Acts 18, but just one chapter before that, in Acts 17, Paul was found debating an elite group of philosophers in Athens, and he spoke profoundly about how Jesus Christ was the unknown God to which they had built an altar. He didn't back down from a challenge or a debate. He was always ready for that, um, and he even very craftily took their own religion and showed them Jesus Christ. But this is not how God called him to build the church at Corinth. It was important for Paul as he began his ministry to the Gentiles to lay the foundation of Jesus Christ with the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Again, so that their faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Our faith should be rooted not in our own wisdom, but in God's power. He needed to rely completely on God's power when he might be tempted instead to rely on his intellect, his talents, or so many other things. Um, Paul knew that he had nothing else of real value 
to give them. For the gospel alone is the power of God that saves. When it comes to salvation, there is no other saving power but the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is this gospel message Paul preached? The gospel message is that Christ also came in weakness. He came as the weakest and most vulnerable of humankind, a helpless, needy infant. He was not born into wealth and status, but he actually came out of Nazareth. And in John chapter 1, when the disciples began following Jesus, one of them, Philip, told Nathaniel, we have found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel responded, Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. So apparently Nazareth had a reputation, but Jesus wasn't ignorant of that. He used that and chose that as his place to become rooted in, a, in an earthly home. That is exactly where he chose to make his home. And let's look at this picture of Jesus in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Very descriptive, the Message Bible says, Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life. And then he died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. This is a wonderful picture of Jesus. This is actually an awful picture of Jesus. There's conflict in this. Jesus lowered himself, put on frail, weak flesh, and came to the earth to die on a cross to take on the curse of sinful man. This is both awful and beautiful all at the same time. And through human wisdom, Paul knew better than to serve what he perceived as this false, weak Messiah. Human wisdom led Paul to persecute Christians and continue as he had been taught as a Pharisee, waiting on the promised Messiah and getting rid of anyone standing in the way of his righteous agenda. Human wisdom told Paul that no real king, especially not one, uh, not one who is claiming to be God in the flesh, would suffer at the hands of men and be crucified on a cross. But when Paul encountered Jesus for himself, everything changed. Everything else he knew in comparison was a heap of garbage. You have to understand he was the quintessential intellectual of his day, a Pharisee among Pharisees. Paul would say that he was the best one. He was a great leader and prolific writer, and we know that because we read many of his letters in the New Testament. He tells us that, many, that he has many reasons to be confident in his own flesh. In fact, Paul challenged the church in Philippi and said, if you think you have a reason to brag, I have even more reasons. And he lists his accolades 
and then says in Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. Trash. Garbage. In comparison to knowing Jesus Christ, Paul counted everything else a waste. All of his accolades, his commendations, and his human wisdom combined were worthless in comparison to now knowing Jesus Christ. Please don't misunderstand, though. God knew exactly what he was getting when Paul said yes. When Paul said yes to Jesus, God took the sum of who he was and he used it all for the sake of the kingdom. And knowing Jesus now meant that Paul, who was a student of the law and who was bound by the law, was now set free from the law to live in the grace of God. This Hebrew who prided himself in his circumcision and his rich Jewish traditions became an apostle of all people to the Gentiles. He went from a self-righteous know-it-all who literally killed people who opposed his views to laying down his life for those same people who would be the church. Hopefully you understand how radical of a change that is. That could only be done by the power of God through Jesus Christ. To go from persecuting, to go from being responsible for the deaths of Christian people, to now go and win more people to that same Christ who you previously opposed. That's what God did in Paul when he, when he saw him, when he encountered him. That is what God did in Paul when he became a follower of Jesus and began to know him. So Paul had to preach Jesus. He knew the testimony or mystery of God that everyone else was craving was all wrapped up in Jesus. All of our searching, all of our emptiness, knowing that there has to be something, someone out there bigger than us, greater than us, um, the mystery of whether there is a God and who is that God, all of that was finally unveiled in Jesus Christ. Let's listen to what Paul tells the Colossian church in Colossians 1, verse 25 through chapter 2, verse 3. I have become its servant, speaking of the church, by the commission God gave me to present you to the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. 
I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Jesus Christ is buried all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And notice how Paul said, I am contending. I am strenuously contending for you. And God was able to use that tenacity, that fervor that Paul had before against the church. God is able to use that now for the church because Paul, having known Jesus now, he surrenders all of that to him. All of his human wisdom, all of his efforts, all of his energies are now surrendered to Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying on this truth of who God is, Jesus Christ, this gospel message, you can put your faith in this. You can rely on this. Let this knowledge, this wisdom, this power transform you as it has done for me. Paul was won over. He was won over by his encounter with Jesus against his human wisdom and his reasoning and logic. In Acts chapter 9, Paul encountered Jesus and was literally blinded by the light of him. He was so convinced he had all the answers and so sure he was um, right that the only way he could see Jesus was to see nothing else at all. And so what, what is obstructing your view? As we think about Paul and we think about how Jesus came to him and how he had to be blinded in order to see Christ, what's going on in our lives that we are not able to see Jesus? What is overshadowing our view hindering our view of Jesus. Are you able to say like Paul did that everything else in comparison is waste? Have you discarded everything else as worthless in comparison to the wisdom of God? Or are you wrestling? Wrestling with whether or not you should, you should submit to God's word or if it's even applicable to you? Is that even for me? Are you resting on your degrees and network or your net worth as if you don't need Jesus? Or is he just a novelty item to add to your collection so that you appear to be a better person? Do you sometimes feel you're smarter than God? These are all real questions. These are questions that Christians before us, people before us have had to ask themselves. Paul, no doubt, have been confronted with these things. Do you sometimes feel that you are smarter than God, that what he is doing makes no sense to you, that you have a better way, that you have a better plan? If that's the case, and I'm sure it is for more of us in the room than we'd like to admit, God invites you to give that to him. 
Because if we look at Paul once again, he was brilliant, yes, but he was also very wrong. Some of us in the room have to consider the fact that we too may be wrong. Wrong about what we think of Jesus, wrong about salvation, wrong about the church. Um, And Jesus invites you to surrender that to him. He is waiting for your confession of pride and self-sufficiency, feeling like you don't really need him or his ways are too backwards. God is waiting. He's heard these things before. And he's able. He is able to meet you where you are. He is here waiting for you to take off the burden of being your own little God, knowing everything, performing perfectly, afraid sometimes to mess up. He welcomes you to fall into his arms and rest in the fact that he is God and his wisdom is far above ours. His ways are far above ours and he can and should be trusted. Jesus has earned the right to be trusted by us. This Jesus that Paul encountered, he came to earth as a regular man, worked a normal job, and lived a pretty uneventful life um, with not much being written about him between his birth and the time that his ministry started. And When his ministry started, God chose to reveal him, reveal it in a particular way. It came through preaching with authority, teaching through parables and demonstration of the spirit. Um, Things that opposed the intellects of that day. They didn't quite understand where Jesus got all this knowledge and information and, and who does he think he even is. But Jesus healed people. Also, he spent time with people, he made room for the marginalized, and he came as a servant. If I was God, I don't think I would have come as a servant. That would be not, that wouldn't be how I would reveal my deity to you. I'd probably come with some flashing lights and thunder and, you know, some roaring voice so that you'd have to listen and and obey me. Something that would cause you to fear and tremble. But that is not how God came to us. He came to us giving. For God so loved the world that he gave. He came healing. He came raising the dead. He came feeding his people. Jesus came as a servant. And why would he come as a humble servant instead of a conquering king? Well, number one, because that's who God is. Yes, he is powerful. He is mighty, all-knowing, all-sufficient. He's omnipresent. And he is also good and kind, and forgiving, and he is love. He could not deny himself. As great as God is, it would be terrible for us if he was not good. But God is not only great, he is good to us. He is good to us. And the the number two reason is because he wanted to pave the way for you, for us. He came as a servant so that when he calls us to look like him, he wants us to have an accurate picture of what that is. 
And looking like Jesus means loving your enemies, making yourself vulnerable at the risk of being hurt again, not propping yourself up to be more than you are, yet being confident in the Father's love and your sonship. Looking like Jesus to some may appear to be weak or strange or just too different or difficult. It's, it's not the culture that I know. What is this? But this Jesus that Paul encountered didn't just serve, suffer, and die, but he proclaimed freedom for us, provided access to God for mankind, and he brought in a new kingdom. He gave us new life. That's why we are born again, born of water and of spirit, because that is when life begins, when we accept Jesus and we answer his call by saying yes. Jesus rose from the dead with power over death, hell, and the grave, declaring they have no victory. So when Paul realized the Jesus he opposed was the true and living God, and that he was so far from him. And that's the thing. Paul thought he was so close to God. He thought he was doing the will of the Father and didn't realize he was so far off. But once he met Jesus, once he encountered Jesus and began to see God as he really is, unveiled in Jesus Christ, then Paul submitted himself completely. Everything he had ever known, his past, his present, his future, all laid at the cross. Everything that we are, everything that we have, every experience, every pitfall, every hurt, we have navigated lives. There's so many different people in the room and, and just, as many, um, just as many stories to tell. And we bring all of that and we lay that at the foot of the cross and we say, God, you, you can have it. You can handle it. In my human wisdom, I don't know what to do with this mess of mine. In my human wisdom, I don't know where else to go from here. In my human wisdom, I want more and more and more, but still I come up empty and empty and empty. And in, in all of that, God, I'm bringing all of that to you and I'm laying it at the foot of the cross in surrender. And so Paul, he had to do that same thing, but his conversion wasn't like anyone else's. He met God in a powerful, demonstrative way, and this carried over into how he delivered the gospel. And so he says in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 1 that he didn't come like everyone else in Greece, trying to impress with rhetoric and the latest philosophies um, or schools of thought. He didn't throw away his intelligence. No, but he did rely on the same power that saved him to save those listening to him. That same power that transformed his life. He trusted in that same power to transform those listening. 
And God didn't call him to figure out how to make Jesus relevant to the Greeks. What can we add to the gospel to make it more effective? I know we struggle with that sometimes. How do I present the gospel? How do I um, make Jesus attractive to my friends? How do I make him not so offensive? How do I present Jesus in such a way that they will say yes to him? Well, let me, let me tell you, a watered-down Jesus is no Jesus at all. When we present the gospel of Jesus, we have to present the truth of Jesus and let God do the work. Understand that the Holy Spirit is at work. The Bible says that one water, one plant, one water, but it's God that gives the increase. It is not our human intellect. It is not our gifts and our talents. It is not the way we treat other people. Yes, we are to treat people the way God would have us to, to be kind and to love and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But at the end of the day, Jesus is the one who is doing the work. It is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. It is the gospel we can mentor people in other areas. We can teach them other ways. We can help them along in other areas, in other arenas, in other expert, uh, our, our expertise. But when it comes to salvation, that's God's domain. God does the work. But God didn't throw away Paul's intelligence. He used it. And so all that we have, God will use that. But we have to understand that we cannot add anything to the gospel to make it more effective, to make it more powerful. To do that is to diminish the power that it already has. Is to misunderstand the power and the authority that already comes wrapped up in the gospel. And so we have to be careful not to follow the trend of the day or whatever is popular, even among churches. Other churches may be doing things that are very successful and it's, it's working for them. But we have to be sensitive to what God calls us to do, where we are planted, and for the people he has given us. And we need to look at Paul's example who went against the norm of flexing intelligence and flaunting academia to persuade others. But he preached Jesus Christ, and that was enough. Jesus and him crucified, Jesus alone. That's all he had of real value because nothing else saves. Nothing else saves us from this life and prepares us for an eternity with him. Nothing else but the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all Paul had, and that's all I have at the end of the day. That's all any of us really have. So as I wrap this up, I just want to share with you and be honest that there, there is no hidden agenda to this message. There is no, um, there's nothing that, uh, no sneak attack. I want you to understand that the goal of this message is that you encounter Jesus today. 
That is the goal of preaching and teaching the gospel message so that you encounter Jesus today, that you find yourself at the foot of the cross, that unbelievers come to know him as Savior, that believers are drawn closer to him, and that we all experience God's power. And I want to invite you, brothers and sisters, just to continue praying as God fills this place with his presence and with his power because we purposely move ourselves out of the way. And we step into the gospel story, letting God do the work. This is his work. This is his work. And lastly, the gospel message wasn't just offensive to the Jews of Paul's day. We understand that. It wasn't just nonsense to the Greeks at that time. But even today, where we are in our region, where we live and all over the world, the gospel is still offensive. People are still offended and still think it's nonsense to take up your cross and follow Jesus. But that is what he calls us to do. We are called to a life of prayer, service, community, and others, a community with others, and obedience to the Spirit. God is calling us into abundant life. He is calling us into fellowship with him and with one another to experience him in a new way, to understand who we really are in Jesus Christ. God is calling us to obedience to the Spirit. And we are called to look like Jesus and literally follow him where he leads us. And we know that people respond differently to that call. In John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well was overjoyed at the redemption and provision of Jesus. In Luke 18, the rich young ruler, he was disappointed with Jesus. There was a thief hanging on the cross next to Jesus who was insulted by his claims to be God. But the other thief was actually comforted, humbled, and grateful. What is your response to Jesus' call? What is your response to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you offended? Is it nonsense? Or to you, is it beautiful and refreshing? Is it hopeful or is it derogatory? Is it too tough to consume? Or is it sweet in your mouth? What is your response to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Either way, whatever your response, Jesus is calling Jesus is calling. Father, we hear you. We hear your call. God, we thank you for this message today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your servants, God, who have paved the way for us. We thank you for the church, God, for millennia of people who have gone before us, heroes of the faith. 
and how you have left these things on record for our learning. We thank you. And God, we thank you that you are not just a God of the Bible that we can read great stories about, but you are a God who is present with us right now. You are here with us right now. And those experiences that the early church had, God, where they saw you, where they felt you, where they heard you, where you were very near to them. It is not something that is foreign to us today because you are here with us now. We hear you, God. We feel you, Jesus. We are touched by you. And we thank you. And Father, I pray as you just continue to work on the hearts of your people. God, as you are tugging on us, as you are nudging us, God, as you are compelling us to come to you, God, I pray that our answer would be yes. I pray that our answer would be yes. God, that our answer would be yes. Yes to you. Yes to this beautiful gospel. Yes to this bloody gospel. Yes you, Jesus. We say yes. Amen.